But are we actually going about this the right way? Well, let's talk to somebody who has uh, uh, gained quite a lot of uh, interest in recent weeks after his videos looking at in great detail all of the different data, all of the graphs showing where we are with the virus, likelihood of a second wave and uh, how we actually are dealing with positive test results. Uh, he's uh, been getting the support of the likes of Professor Carl Hennigan, the Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine in Oxford, and his name is Ivor Cummins. He's a biochemical engineer and I think uh, we can safely say a lockdown sceptic. Good morning to you, Ivor. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Lovely to speak to you. I'm, I'm delighted to speak to you after sharing your, your videos online, uh, in, in looking at sort of what's really going on. And I suppose for an awful lot of people, not people who think it's all a hoax, not the people who think that this is, you know, the lizard people secretly funding control of society. Those people are crazy. But people like me and many of my listeners who you know, supportive of the understanding we'll need for a lockdown in the early days, but you're increasingly sceptical that the measures we are taking are proportionate to the threat that the virus actually poses. What are your concerns? Well, yeah, that's it, Julia, exactly. Proportionality and logic and rationality seem to have taken somewhat of a holiday. So I was supportive of the lockdown back in March, of course, because precautionary principle you know we didn't really know what we were facing so there's a lot of science that said it wouldn't help much but hey uh, but the problem now is if you take the UK I just looked at the figures this morning and I'm all about the data as you know so the UK is around 0.7 per million people per day uh, sadly passing carrying the SARS-CoV-2 virus and people have to appreciate 0.7 people per million per day is is not a large figure now, looking at the Spain experience of the past six or seven weeks, and if we put that trajectory of mortality out for the UK and project out, maybe the UK will be at around 2.5 per million people per day. And again, respiratory mortality, it's looking like, would be pretty normal for a normal winter. So if we put it in perspective, another key point, and I know this is radio, but if uh, people imagine the original epidemic, which is normal for a seasonal respiratory illness virus that's pretty new on the scene, you've got a rapid rise in mortality and a long, slow fall off. We've all, we all so, seen that graph, that massive big yeah. peak and then long, slow yeah, decline. Well, if people imagine your arm nearly vertical, that's the increase in a real epidemic. And if you imagine your arm almost horizontal, that's what we've been seeing in the UK for the past few weeks and in Spain, even though it's around six weeks ahead. So people have to understand it's dramatically different than when the we, original but, epidemic. But when we see some of these graphs, and it looks like they're growing, and certainly when we saw this extra almost 16,000 te positive test results entered onto those graphs, it looked like, you know, oh, hold on a minute, it's a lot worse than we thought. Infections are spiking up. And when you compare the infection numbers uh, with the infection numbers back in March, April, it looks really terrifying. But of course, you're not comparing like with like, are you? Absolutely not. So approximately you in the UK are doing around 20 times more testing than in April 2020. So people need to let that sink in. So if you do 20 times the testing, guess what? You're going to see more uh, positive results. The other thing is the PCR test finds viral fragments. So it will find many false positives by the nature of the test. It will find people who had the uh, illness a month ago or more. 
uh, and it will find you know people who have extremely low viral load where it really has no technical meaning or transmissibility and a small number of those people positive will be a genuine case if you will who are symptomatic and maybe transmissible uh, but they're using the full number they're not using the fraction that is relevant so that creates this kind of case-demic situation because the mortality impacts are relatively uh, small. All deaths are, are sad, but that's the reality. And ICU is around 25 per day coming in. So roughly speaking, that's around one person per million coming into ICU every two and a half days. So again, like you said, perspective. We've got a very slow rise. Spain and France have proved the trajectory. Uh, utterly different than back in April, and the science says that that would happen. The first passing of a new virus hits hard because of immuno-naive people and a lot of susceptible people to it. But then after that, you get more community immunity, the susceptible have passed, and the following winter, when you have a new group of more susceptible people who have become more aged or more stage four cancers, etc., you're going to get some impact. But I'd expect it's more like a standard winter respiratory mortality. Well, this is it. This this sort of oh, this rise in the autumn. It's been blamed on you know the eat out to help out campaign. Uh, it's been blamed on young people going to school, going to university. The government's campaign to get people back to work. We were always, when we hit September, going to start seeing a rise in cases. That's the nature of seasonal illnesses. Absolutely. And we have the Glasgow study, the 15 year study of 50,000 people. And we see without exception, when you come into autumn and winter, coronaviruses rise in prevalence, just like the other similar uh, viruses. So it's inevitable you're going to see more SARS-CoV-2. Um, but the big question is, do you see a disproportionate and exceptional increase in excess respiratory mortality over prior winters? Because we all know what we did for the prior winters of all of history. Uh, we just washed our hands, maybe, if they were bad, and you know, kept our distance from elderly. So if we're going to do exceptional measures now that are completely dramatically different than ever in history, but we've got the same kind of scenario as we had in history in other winters, you've got to ask the question, exceptional measures, have we got an exceptional situation? And I. Um, what about the local lockdowns? Uh, we've, we've been some. Well, there's some talk about more local lockdowns, a traffic light system, and we see some parts of England. I mean, you know, 25% of the entire country is currently facing stricter measures than the rule of six and the 10 p.m. curfew. Um, but but is there any evidence they actually work? Because in every single one of the areas where they've had local lockdowns for often weeks and weeks, even months on end, we see rising figures rather than falling figures, with the one exception of Luton. Okay, Julia, so since April, the data is pretty clear. And this isn't modeling like Ferguson stuff. This is real world empirical data analyzed to check the effect of lockdown. And almost without exception, there is no correlation. And this was published in The Lancet and there's five published papers now. There's essentially no substantial connection between lockdown and outcomes of ICU and mortality. That's a reality. And two days ago, there's another publication, University of Edinburgh and Strathclyde, a team of five, I think. And again, the same thing. The modeling was out by a factor of 12 and the lockdown is disassociated from real world impacts. So I don't know why the government isn't reading the five or six published papers that have actually done the analysis to answer this question and found pretty much the answer. 
Um, there's no uh, credible publication post hoc or after the event during the summer that has really claimed that lockdowns are in any way effective. And people got to remember, we have decades of science and even the WHO guidelines in 2019 and lockdowns are not part of the epidemic or pandemic response. They're clearly not. What should we be doing? So, We're just sticking with washing our hands, socially distancing, wearing masks? What would make sense is, I would say, what Sweden are doing. And in my mind, they are the gold standard for epidemic management. They had less impact per million than the UK. Uh, they're living effectively normally now. And even in the middle of the epidemic, they were just doing the traditional epidemic guidelines. Hands, distance, elderly, stay isolated as possible. Uh, so Sweden is the gold standard. Just look at the graphs and the data for Sweden for the past two months and look at the photos of how they're living. That's the gold standard. That, that's it. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. I could talk to you all day. Iva Cummins, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, 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 I mean, one of your videos has had I mean, a million and a half views on, online. It's a 37 minute video. It's a pretty, pretty long video to watch, but it absolutely explains an awful lot about this. Iva Cummins there, uh, he tweets as Fat Emperor, if you want to follow him. He's a biochemical engineer and a leading lockdown skeptic, but followed by the likes of people like Carl Hennigan, a professor of evidence-based medicine at Oxford University. Well, thank you very much to him thanks for listening guys and just a reminder that i do need support to continue putting together all of this content and at patreon.com forward slash ivor cummins or for paypal at tinyurl.com forward slash ivor cummins where you can do a one-off or a monthly support so i'd really appreciate that guys and keep me getting the science out there and countering perhaps the more biased corporate type science thank you